You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Hey, Greg, I have a, a, a pitch for you. I want to do a movie about the quest for the Holy Grail. No, oh, like uh, Indiana Jones? No, no, no. It's going to involve like the last scion of Christ. Oh, uh, like Dogma. No, no, no. It's going to have Tom Hanks in it. They're going to smash the patriarchy. Uh, like a League of Their Own? I, I have some notes. Hang on. Here, here. They're, they're all bundled up in this uh, absurdly complex puzzle box. Uh, one second. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast where we decipher scripts and pull out the perfectly uh, preserved remains of the good idea that was once there uh, at the beginning of time. I am your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And I am enjoying improvising the movie podcast where moments. Uh, and today uh, we are talking about The Da Vinci Code, 2006 film the da vinci code uh directed by ron howard uh from happy days uh <laughs> and uh written by uh akavia goldsman uh the screenplay of course and then uh, based on the uh dan brown novel uh you've seen it in every airport you've ever visited uh we'll, we'll uh, talk about the cast and stuff here in a sec but how, how are you guys doing how, how are how are my pals greg and scott today uh, great hey did you guys see the mortal Kombat trailer Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, that was yeah. cool. That it was looked pretty really sweet. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as I said to a couple people on Twitter, no Johnny Cage, no dollar bills. Really? That's your. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. If you're doing a Mortal Kombat movie and you don't have Johnny Cage in it, uh, th- no thank you. Not interested. Well, maybe this Cole Young guy is like a, a Johnny Cage. A Johnny Cage proxy. Yeah, he's definitely a proxy. Like he's because yeah. I think he's like a boxer or something like that. So they're gonna have to do a lot to win me over. Uh, seeing as I mean, he's I, missing it, Johnny Cage. I don't know. It just like it just looked goofy and fun in all the right ways. And who knows, you know what that'll mean once I'm watching it. But I don't know. It's yeah. uh, it's been kind of an interesting uh, week in movie trailers because we got that yeah. Cruella Deville the Cruella <laughs> movie. Yes, the Cruella backstory that literally no one was asking for. <laughs> I, uh, I I mean I tweeted this at our own I have some notes account, but yeah, like she she's got to be the one Disney villain that's like actually truly unlikable. Uh, like yeah. her, it's in her name, she's cruel. Like can you? And this is what I tweeted, but like, can you imagine if uh, Scar kills Mufasa and it wasn't to usurp his power, but just to make a cool hat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, like I, we were we were making fun of it, but like uh, you know, fundamentally, I don't I don't think there's any movie that can't be done. Like there's always a way yeah. of of getting around it, and 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 you know, like it's a standalone movie, so there's probably ways of making Cruella sympathetic and. Or, or my, maybe it's my, setting her up to being, it's like the sad story of how Cruella became really, really disgusting and evil. And maybe that's, you know, it could work. It could work. Yeah. I'm also, I'm going to take a stab and say it's not going to like, obviously there were Dalmatians in it, but I get the impression it's going to be like a fashion heist movie or something. And it's not going to be about her trying to get those dogs. Cause that's yeah, yeah. already, they made it with Glenn Close 20 years ago. And, and they've, Called it a prequel, so I, uh, it seems to be pre-dogs. Yeah, <laughs> there's only, a, there's a there's shot in the trailer bucks. where there's some Dalmatians growling at her. So there's yeah. definitely going to be an obvious nod to yeah. to Dalmatians. <laughs> Scott, what was your favorite trailer of the week? I mean, I I don't know that there were any other two that made quite the splash. Those ones, yeah, that's that's true. Uh, and of the two, I guess I'm going to say Mortal Kombat. But again, like no Johnny Cage. What if Johnny Cage was in Cruella? <laughs> then, I'd watch, then I'd be watching right there. Actually, I would too. I don't know why. Wherever Johnny, yeah, no. wherever Johnny Cage goes, I go. Yeah, that's that's if, clear. If Johnny Cage showed up in the Cruella movie, that is definitely a Cruella movie that I am interested to see. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's in, he's um, in Sponge on the know, Run. There I think. is. It wasn't a trailer, but there was some other uh, some other big movie news this week because they did announce that Paddington Three is in the works. Oh yeah, and I know that there are a lot of movie buffs who are super excited about that. 
because Paddington yeah. is a genuinely good, feel-good movie. And no uh, they also announced a Wednesday Adams Netflix series, which Tim hmm. Burton is helming. Oh, yeah. So you can expect him to Tim Burton that up quite a bit. Was he ever a part of the no. Adams Family franchise? It feels like he you, should have You'd been. expect he... Yeah, you'd totally expect yeah. it. It's in his wheelhouse. But no, yeah. uh, he was not involved in those uh, those movie properties earlier on. But uh, yeah, apparently now he's working on some sort of... Uh, some sort of Wednesday Adams at boarding school teen detective uh, series for Netflix, which eh, at least piqued my interest a little bit. Uh, well, until those exciting summer movies uh, uh, hit our theaters or home theaters, uh, whatever the case may be, uh, until then we got uh, the sweet, warm, glowing, warm glow of uh, Netflix bringing us such hits as uh, Da Vinci Code, and also now it won't stop recommending Angels and Demons to me. Uh, yeah, uh, me too. And Inferno. <laughs> it actually recommended Inferno before Angels and Demons to me. <laughs> oh, nice. You got your better angle on your algorithm there. But, uh, of course, uh, uh, Angel, or not Angels, also Angels and Demons, but The Da Vinci Code uh, stars, of course, Tom Hanks, uh, Audrey Tattoo as Sophie Nouveau, uh, Ian McKellen as uh, Sir Teabing, uh, Jean Reno as uh, Fash, Captain Fash, which... Uh, sounds short for fascist, which is kind of funny for a name for a cop. Um, uh, we got uh, Vision as uh, the albino Silas, uh, Dr. Octopus as the Bishop Manuel Octopuso. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. That works. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, all great cast. Every every time someone showed up on screen, I'm like, yeah, this, this person. I like him in movies. Yeah, no, the, like, it, it, say what you will about this film. The cast is stellar. Mm-hmm. And everybody gives it their all. Like, there's no one... There's no one just there for a payday in this film. Everyone is committed and is doing a great job. <laughs> I don't know what your guys' um, watching experience was like, but um, I have to admit to a certain amount of trepidation talking about this movie because I think as, as most um, sharp-eared listeners will know by now is that I have trouble remembering the names of things actors places <laughs> movies <laughs> stuff like that so um it, it, this movie is you know full of them it's, it's so much so that i was i was quite confused i think uh through the middle of it i couldn't i couldn't quite remember the difference between the priory of Sion or Sion and um the knights templar i wasn't sure who was who <laughs> which is a uh i think fairly key um, yes. so I actually, I took to, uh, Wikipedia before we started recording just to kind of, uh, get my head straight on all this stuff. So now I want to tell you about the adventure I had learning that the Da Vinci Code is probably based on anti-Semitism. So <gasps> Dan, Dan Brown, uh, claims that the Da Vinci Code is, is based on facts um, he kind of believed in the the whole conspiracy theory of um, you know Jesus having a wife and that wife being Mary Magdalene. It's Wikipedia sent me down this uh, strange rabbit hole of finding out what the priory of uh, Sion was, and it was a kind of a hoax um, created by a man named Pierre Plantard. Um, he <laughs> he believed that France needed to be uh, purified of modernity and and Judaism uh, and he promoted this through uh, the 60s and 70s that um, there was this existence of this ancient secret society called the Priory of Sion and I'm going to quote from an article I read called uh, the Da Vinci Protocols uh, quote uh, the point of this occult order was to advance Plotard's claim to be the surviving heir of an ancient Merovingian line of French kings who whose, uh, quote, holy blood uh, was guarded by the priory. So this guy thought he had holy blood or he was trying to convince people that he had holy blood. And he also wanted to rid his countries of Jews. So, hey, that's a cool uh, <laughs> set of heroes to base your movie on, right? Um, and, the, like, the Da Vinci Code is also kind of similar to this other... Um, anti-Semitic hoax called the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which was invented by uh, like a Russian anti-Semite 
in the late, late 1800s. Um, and it, it sort of tells this, like, again, secret society of uh, Jewish elders that uh, work to keep the world ignorant of uh, a plot to rule the world through Darwinism, Marxism, and Nietzscheism. Um, so in both the Da Vinci Code and this Protocols thing, um, there's like a, an ancient re- religion that turns out to be uh, a fraud uh, whose purpose is to like gain and maintain maintain power. And that also got me thinking about, do you guys remember the documentary Zeitgeist? It was like I'm a, familiar with it. I never watched it because it's yeah. It was like in around the time that like other conspiracy videos were floating about like loose change, like the nine eleven truther video yeah. and stuff like that. And I remember watching that and like as a young dumb twenty year old and thinking like, oh, this is this is some shit right here. And uh, that was also a uh, a kind of a conspiracy where uh, the idea was like I think that Ju- uh, Jesus was a complete fiction. He didn't exist at all. And then the documentary further dovetails into this whole conspiracy about the, the drive for a one world government, uh, which again, that we all know that's also rooted in, uh, anti-Semitism. So, so yeah, like I just went down this crazy, like anti-Semitic rabbit hole just from reading the, uh, the Da Vinci code Wikipedia page. Bummer. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Good pick. Whoever picked this one then. I'm glad for See, and I always just sort of thought of this, this book in this movie as, as like, like airport, you know, I mean, like it's, it's on par with a pack of gum. Like it's just like something you get in an airport to kind of keep your mind occupied. But I, and I guess I worked it into going chapters when this came out and I remember some of the, some of the hype. Um, but yeah, that, that checks out. This whole movie is like, it, it really, it, it I, like I can see, I can see the the, the threads there, Greg. I'm glad you brought that up because I I finished watching it an hour ago and I'm still sort of um, <laughs> didn't have time I, to Google the, the the root of it. I think that um, the um, tendrils of like the author sort of believing in the conspiracy are kind of reflected in the movie a little bit because it takes itself um, for my taste a little too seriously. Like I didn't, I like I felt like I should be having fun, and the movie I kept thinking about while I was watching is like this should be more like National Treasure, is what I was thinking. Like it just like I didn't, which is kind of this but more fun. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's just like, and, and I know that, like this one traffics a, in a bit uh, darker territory, but I, it's still like I, you know, I didn't like I didn't find the cons- it's, it's the way the movie is sort of structured. And I guess we'll, we'll talk about that after we get through the plot summer. But yeah, like it's just, yeah, there's, there's just, it's just needed to be a little bit more on the fun side. And I found myself um, feeling like it was a bit of slog to get through. Scott, did you feel the uh, something similar? Uh, yeah, it was a long movie. <laughs> See, and maybe I'm like, um, now I'm hesitant to go to, to go to bat for it because of all the, the anti-Semitism stuff we just learned about. But I, I watched it in two sittings and like I didn't love it, but it like I I I I enjoyed the like the sort of like one two three rhythm of like solve a puzzle, run away from the cops, learn about the character. Solve a puzzle, run away from the cops, learn about the character. Like it just had a nice. I, d- I didn't find it like a drag to watch, um, but I also watched it in in two halves. So maybe if right. I had been sitting, yeah. There for- um, my issue with the length watching it all at once was that. That is the rhythm up until, up until I'm going to call it the climax, uh, <laughs> which happens at the end of Act Two, because then there's yeah. a whole act left, and that rhythm stops because it's just denouement for like 40 minutes of this movie. And by the end of it, I was just like, "Oh my god, how is this movie still going? It's ended twice already." <laughs> are you, are you I don't referring know to why after after Ian McKellen gets arrested? Yeah, Ian, Ian McKellen gets arrested, and that that's the climax of the film. And then there's more mystery to solve. And <laughs> then is... they go and they and they find out uh, that Sophie's the last scion, and it's like okay. And then the movie ends again. But then Tom Hanks goes back to his hotel room and has another epiphany <laughs> and goes chasing the final mystery again. And it's just like, how is this still happening? <laughs> the movie's already over. <laughs> Like it, really it just it kept dragging on and dragging on and dragging on. Yeah, um, yeah I in, do in a way agree, that I felt was like unnecessary. It, 
it feels like it ends when Ian McKellen gets uh, arrested. But I actually was like, I also was like, oh, movie's over. Okay. Like get Pat, you know, mentally preparing to wind down. And then it actually, I found that last bit where they, they go to the Rose Chapel and then he's running up and down the Bloodline Meridian. Um, again, maybe I'm, I, I, I was quite engaged with that. I'm like, that's actually where the mystery picked up for me. Whereas I was like, up until that, I'm like, this is just a fun, like, you know, puzzle runaway adventure. Um, and then at, when it hit that point, I was like, oh, there's, there's a little mystery to this. Um, like, don't don't misunderstand. I, I get why you want to identify the last scion. And I mean, I knew who it was at the end of Act 1. I was like, oh, Sophie's going to be the last scion because she's the only woman in the, in the entire movie. So the laws of conservation of narrative are if you've got a reveal and there's only of a mysterious character and there's only one character in the movie who could fit the bill they're that person and mm-hmm. so it was like okay sophie's the last scion and i had sir ian pegged as the teacher before the end of act two as well because it was just like okay like we're we've run out of characters who these mystery people could be so it's obviously these people um, so it wasn't really a mystery to me, but I get why you want to like resolve that and spell it out for, I guess, the audience. And I understand the purpose of him finding the Holy Grail itself at the end, finding Mary Magdalene's tomb, because it's the completion of his knight's quest. He mm-hmm. actually completes the quest for the Holy Grail because he was the worthy knight. I get that that's the trajectory of the story. And that the at the end of the Grail quest, the knights pray at her tomb. That's what you do. It just, it felt like it was a very long journey to get there from what was the climax of the movie. Like the movie peaked and then there was so much more that was left to happen that by the end of it, it was like, this, this is really dragging. And it didn't help that the movie had a ton of uh, filler in it. Like there were a ton of unnecessary flashbacks. In some cases, flashbacks that happened and then the characters immediately talked about the things that were shown in the flashback. Where it's just like, just do one or the other. You don't need to do both things. We're we're a bit ahead of ourselves here though, because we're talking yeah, about Yeah, I was gonna say speaking of speaking of flashbacks, let's uh let's throw to the trailer and, and hear from uh hear from the movie itself. We are in the middle of a war to protect a secret so powerful that if revealed it would devastate the very foundations of mankind. Professor Langdon, the chief of police would like your assistance. I'm not sure how much help I'm going to be here. Dear God. He did this himself in his own blood? Is it possible? This is a message your grandfather left you. He left us. Might be some kind of anagram. Can you break it? Demons, omens, codes, monks. Da Vinci. Professor Langdon, you're in grave danger. From director Ron Howard. Sir Lee Teabing. Robert, what can an old cripple do for you? I'm into something here that I cannot understand. You asked what will be worth killing for. Symbologist Robert Langdon is framed for the grisly murder of a museum curator. He is miraculously spared arrest by Sophie Naveau, a police cryptographer and the victim's granddaughter. The two are thrust into an ancient mystery surrounding the true purpose of the Knights Templar and whether or not Jesus got laid. Pursued by hardcore Catholics, the French police, and one of the Avengers, Langdon and Naveau must decipher cryptic puzzles conveniently scattered throughout the prettiest parts of Europe. Can they find the Holy Grail before the conspiracy closes in and secures the patriarchy forever? I I, I want to go back quickly to what you said um, before we hit the trailer, Scott, about uh, the the climax of the film and then there being another one shortly thereafter. Like, I actually, what I felt was the climax of the movie was the first time we meet uh, Ian McKellen's character. Oh, and he kind of spells out the whole conspiracy for us. Well, yeah, it's like I. Th- what's weird is like, okay, so we're like we're we're building up to like this big conspiracy mystery or whatever, and then we hit Ian McKellen, and then it just gets absolutely pasted at us uh, at record speed, <laughs> you know, in in one scene, and I stopped and I looked to see how much time was left, and there was like an hour and a half. And I was like, what's going to happen next? Because the, <laughs> I, I already know everything I wanted to know from this movie. Like, it told me everything that I thought was interesting. And now I don't really care <laughs> about the next hour yeah, and this, a half. But yeah, I got to sit through it. 
that's a flaw with the movie overall. It, it tips its hand too early about too much. And uh, that goes with the, the mystery behind the, uh, the, the, the truth behind the Holy Grail gets revealed to us too early. Um, uh, I would say that uh, Fash's true allegiance is revealed to us way too early. Like it should be more of a mystery who he's like, what his real agenda is for a longer time. Um, again, the, the movie, at least to me, I had figured out who Sophie and Sir Lee were before, before long before that was re- actually spelled out. It just, it felt like the movie kept, the movie was too eager to reveal its secrets to us. Mm-hmm. And so it just kept, it, it kept telling us too much too early. Uh, and so it, it makes you less interested in seeing them continue to puzzle stuff out, question mark. I could have sworn that they revealed Sophie as the last scion in that Ian McKellen scene, because that's what I took from it. And like, when they they get to the end of the movie and they're like, they're going through that, like they're going through this, like a reveal that like, you're the last blood or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) we knew that, right? Yeah. But as I said, like by the end of act one, I knew who it was. And it was pretty much at that same time where I was like, okay. She's the only, and for the record, she's the only woman in the movie, in a movie where they're trying to stop people who are securing the patriarchy, um, <laughs> which is a weird choice story. Um, but, you know, whatever. She's the only woman, and therefore she's clearly the last scion. Like, that was the trajectory it was going. And again, I had Sir Ian pegged as the villain uh, early on, because it was just like, we've run out of characters who the mystery villain could be. Well, he's not, he's not the, is he the villain? He's like, well, his okay. motives so the, are the a mystery, little... the mysterious teacher who's been helping the villains, yeah. I guess I should say. Cause like, like he is, he... he's an antagonist. I don't know if he's the villain. Yeah. And I think that's because he's... maybe one of the things I sort of, uh, uh, hesitant to say like, well, yeah, he... like that I liked about it was like his, Actually, I guess I didn't like it about it because I'm like his much like Magneto, he makes a lot of good points, and I don't fully understand the message <laughs> of this movie. The puzzling and the adventure stuff and the pacing and the like you figure out the mystery, but you still gotta watch them figure out the mystery. Again, I I was like okay with that. I was along for the like solve puzzles, runaway adventure. Um, but I once it got to the end, where I'm like, wait, is the point of this that like the Christian status quo is okay? Because Ian McClellan's <laughs> whole thing was like, he's like, oh, if Sophie, if we reveal Princess Sophie to be the the living bloodline of Christ, we can shatter the patriarchy and like get like women and 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 poor people and marginalized people back into the church and make the church what it was all about. Um, and then after they're like, yeah, we're not going to do that, Ian. Thanks. Bye. Uh, get arrested. Later, she, um, Sophie refers to Tom Hanks. Uh, oh, no. Tom Hanks refers to himself because it was like a joke that was made that he's the beat cop of history. And I'm like, yeah, man, you are. Like, you're just going around and forcing the status quo. You did. Like, I just so <laughs> in in the in the broadest strokes, I enjoyed this movie the same way I'm sure I would have enjoyed the novel if I needed something to read because my flight to Florida got delayed. Right. Um, and it was like just that that I, I described this before we started. I, I called it like a medium high of uh, um, in terms of like, you know, n- not getting stone on weed. Though I did do that when I watched it. Um, uh, but like uh, on a burner on a stove burner, like. Some movies you got to go all the way, give it full focus. It's a Charlie Kaufman cerebral epic. Other ones are dumb, turn off your brain adventure. This is like, you got to pay some attention and kind of give it some critical thought. But yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Like the movie is competently directed and it's very pretty to look at. Like they go to a lot of great places and the cast again is stellar and they're acting their, their faces off through this movie. Like they're doing a great job and that elevates what is very milquetoast uh, very by the numbers conspiracy thriller schlock, and like that's the reason why I say the movie is watchable. Like it's fine, um, yeah. but if 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 they had a less competent director or didn't have just a constellation of stars in the cast, uh, I don't think that this movie would be as good as it <laughs> turned out being. I, I I think the the movie really comes alive uh, at first appearance of Ian McKellen. It's like I, I, I was quite, I don't know, I don't know like bored is maybe too strong a word, but like I wasn't I wasn't necessarily enjoying myself a whole lot. And when 
Ian McKellen gets on screen like he's you know the it he just brings it all to life like he's like he's like he's one he's like one of the few characters in the in this movie um that has some real personality and like i don't yeah. i don't feel like robert langdon does uh, sophie doesn't have much mostly because the the movie for a movie that's ostensibly about sophie spends very little time exploring her which is yeah. super yeah, frustrating you, you had even mentioned uh earlier on uh possibly before we were recording that the in the end she, she's the cryptographer and in the end she's not even the one who solves the uh, <laughs> the the puzzle no the biggest uh, puzzle in the movie and they're and and they keep talking about how she's this great code cracker and that she her she was they spent you know her grandfather spent his entire life you know teaching her how to solve these puzzles and stuff like that and how to keep secrets and and whatever and then when it comes to the big moment when uh, there's an enormous puzzle to solve. It's the fucking author who who does it, and she's and she's sitting there going, "I don't know how. I don't know how. I don't know how." Yeah, she because yeah, she, her job is to be isn't to be the cryptographer. She's the MacGuffin. She's the Holy Grail. Yeah. She's the she's the item to be treasured and rescued and protected. Yeah, and I find yeah, that so real... thoroughly frustrating because, like, I like, it's a very weird choice. Yeah, because like th- I would argue that this movie doesn't need Robert Langdon at all. <laughs> like Sophie, Sophie is uh, she's a she's a cop first of all, right, or an investigator. So she yeah. has she has every impetus to investigate her own grandfather's death and be highly motivated for it. Um, she is supposed to be um, excellent with codes and and cracking things. Uh, so that would give her all kinds of agency to go about solving the uh the murder right and and uh, but for some reason like I, i'm gonna just call it sexism <laughs> that mm-hmm. we need this man in there to do all the things that the movie is telling us that she is was essentially born to do yeah i think you've just I given will, me my fix I, I i was worried that we were actually tiptoeing into fixed territory there, but uh, <laughs> i will say this at the very least it would have been real easy for this movie to put in a romantic plot between Robert and Sophie and they resisted that. There is not. One. Yeah, I'll give it credit have, for that. They have a little yeah. intimate moment at the end but it's it's very much like uh we've been through some stuff together and we're going to have like a, we're going to have a hug cuz we're kind of friends now and that's it. It was very chaste. There was no romance between them. Yeah. And I was worried that was going to be a thing for a while and I'm glad yeah. that they resisted it. Agreed. Though I'll throw I'll throw this in there because I don't it's not a fix it's not even really about this movie it's just something that and when you when you talked about them um, how much they'd been through uh, it, it, this is something that movies like this always I can't help but shake in my mind and when I say like this movies where the call to adventure is like thrust onto the main characters um, like that moment like drop what you're doing and go call to adventure. Uh, I can't always help but think it's like what if like man what if he had like a rock in his shoe or like what if he like had a blister or like you know like unclean underwear like what if he didn't wear his good underwear that day and it's like because he's Robert Langdon and Sophie are go 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 from the moment they find that body like they're just running and solving mysteries for like 48 hours straight and this isn't like I'm not trying to be like a nitpicky nerd it's just something I can never shake in movies is I'm like man they didn't like eat <laughs> I'd be so grumpy Nobody's, if like it was nobody stopped charged. in the bathroom. Yeah. They never like yeah, and and it's I'm not saying like oh movies need to stop and show us characters. I don't expect that. It's just every time I see a movie where the the main character drops what they're doing and answers the call to adventure for like hours at a time. Excuse me. Uh, I'm like, don't you have to poop? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like did you brush it? Like, what if you didn't brush your teeth? Like, it would just yeah. Anyway. Phone's dead. You know what I mean. Speaking of the of the call to adventure, I didn't I didn't particularly like the opening sequence where the police show up to Robert Langdon's um, book signing. There was something about the way that it occurred. Like the guy just like flashes uh, a badge at him and then gives him like a horrific murder photo, like right in front of like all of his fans and stuff like that and it was just like 
I don't know, like, there there could have been a lot more interesting intrigue and subterfuge with that scene if he just sort of, if they just pulled him away from his fans and the, the fans are left to be sort of confused as to what's happening and he's he seems like he's he's in trouble or something like that. And it also plays, like, if he gets pulled pulled away and then they, they, they sort of interrogate him a little bit in a room off to the side, that also plays into the fact that they think it was him that did the murder, right? Because mm-hmm. the way that it plays out in the movie is that it, they they take Robert Langdon to the murder scene, and it seems like like they're playing it as if he's there to help them solve it, right? Yeah. And like I don't know, like like I don't know. In what world, like if you would you take a murder suspect to the murder scene and then be like, solve the puzzle for me? <laughs> Just kidding. I thought it was you all along. Yeah, that that really the, the yeah, that that bothered me too. That not so much the table thing though that was weird. I was going to comment in our little chat like that's not how you arrest someone just while they're signing books, but I thought it was uh, I thought it was going to be pedantic, but I'm glad someone else thought it. But the whole, yeah, definitely the whole thing about how they bring him into the murder scene under false pretenses. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought Maybe there would the be French more fun way to do it. Police differently than we're used to here in North America. What, how do how do we know? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I guess she, like Sophie is a cop as well, and she's like, he wasn't going to let you leave, so it's like maybe that's just how fast how fast rules. Yeah, he I guess. Is, uh, described as being a particularly stubborn and bullheaded investigator, and it's possible that he was. And this is totally headcanoning it. Like, it's not yeah. explicit in the film in any way. And I have not read the book, so I don't know. But it it could be that he was doing it to throw Langdon off guard so that he would incriminate himself. Mm. Possibly. I mean, like, even if um, Fash was, like, a more aggressive and standoffish with uh, Robert Langdon, that might have helped that scene a little bit. But it's just, like, it's just the way, the way that it read to me is just, like, oh, we're just pulling in a dude to help out. And it was, like, it was sort of like a twist that he was being, and I like that he was under investigation. And I didn't really think that that was like much of a, I don't know, much of a, a plot twist for me. So I don't know. Uh, didn't work. Didn't work for me. Yeah. I kind of saw it coming, especially wh- the way Fash was looking at him in the elevator when he was having his first claustrophobic attack. Uh, I was like, oh, Fash, Fash is suspicious of this guy because he was giving him suspicious looks and he was like, "How are, are you okay there, boss? And I was like, okay, yeah, he's a suspect. And then it's revealed, oh, he thinks you're a suspect. And I was like, yeah, okay, no, yeah, yeah, I picked that up. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I kind of, I, I kind of read that as like he, he was growing suspicious of him, not, a, not that he necessarily thought he did it right away, kind of thing. But then, it, then it sounds like, then it seems like it's revealed later that like he, he picked him up solely because, oh yeah, because he was, he was the only suspect. Yeah. I like I thought that that might be really clever though to have like to have his suspicion grow just because like I uh, that's what I thought was happening it's like oh his suspicion's growing because he's claustrophobic that's kind of a neat reason for that to be in there in the movie that it gets yeah, it him would, into hot it, water It would have been much more interesting if Langdon hadn't originally been sus- uh, like a suspect but then over the course of that initial investigation he accidentally incriminates himself by yeah. like being too familiar with the symbology and yeah. acting weird in the museum and the cops get suspicious of him and and it's only in retrospect where he's like oh crap i i'm in a lot of trouble now <laughs> like yeah i will say this also about the initial incident uh because the curator gets murdered by vision and then it's Paul Bettany. We know he's Paul Bettany. Yeah. He's a great actor. We're making fun. Um, <laughs> but he gets murdered by by Albino Vision. And then I guess uh, with his dying breath spends like a half an hour uh, going around the museum and leaving a blood trail and cryptic clues around so that his uh, adopted granddaughter and uh, an expert symbologist yes. can go around piecing together the initial the initial clues. And it's like... Seriously, a guy who's dying from murder it has the the 
the presence of mind and the time to, to leave, go around the museum. Scrambled Fibonacci numbers? Yeah, leaving an elaborate puzzle. <laughs> like, that That actually strained my credulity quite a bit. Bleeding a pentagram from his chest and he's yeah, like... Yeah, no, it would have been... like, And it's one thing for him to leave the one message, but he went to other paintings and left messages there too. And it's just like, how did he have the time to do this? If I was dying... <laughs> I would not have the presence of mind to do this. It it really did strain my credulity a bit. <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't think too. You have to think somewhat hard about this movie to keep up with the puzzles and stuff. But you can't think too hard about it. No, it, it, can we oh, can we talk can. a little bit about the puzzles because I like I, I said earlier that this movie um, just wasn't fun enough for me, and I think that the puzzles were a big chunk of that. Because I didn't find them satisfying or interesting in in any way. Like at, like at the beginning, uh, when they they find Sonia, who's the guy who who dies initially uh, to set the whole thing off, like he writes a message in uh, invisible ink or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, and then and then the big reveal of the, of the solve solving the puzzle is that it's an anagram and i was like uh, an anagram that's the big cryptic code and then she's like can you crack it and i'm like can you crack an anagram yeah like you're just rearranging the letters <laughs> it's not a cipher <laughs> well and again she's she's the cryptographer she should be yeah, the one the cracking the anagram <laughs> <laughs> not the guy who's good with symbols. He like that's I, that's not his specialty. That's her specialty. I don't think I could make a clever anagram with <laughs> not a bleeding pentagram in my chest. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> but like the the puzzle at the end, like the the big puzzle uh, for the, the climax of the film is the cryptic, and that gets solved not by any intrigue, but by like. A, a ridiculous hallucination like like it's just a bunch of nonsense cgi and then i i solved the the code the cryptic code uh yeah and i was just like i was like okay like that, there could have been another way of making this a little bit more fun and, and like and and finally like one of the one of the main symbols in this movie the main like cryptic symbol is like a fucking v like a V that's the things that they're looking for. That's what they find in a painting is a V and the V means, you know, a the vagina womb. or the womb or whatever. And like, uh, really? Like, is that really that much that interesting of a symbol? Like it's like you can find V's in negative space anywhere you like. It's just like none of it. None of it had the kind of intrigue that, that I, that I really wanted. And like, um, you know, obviously Indiana Jones is a great example of like, you know, sort of fun puzzles that also in- invoke ev- adventure. Um, and, and, and like most, most of the, the puzzle solving um, in this movie, I don't feel really gets the audience involved. And that's a big mistake. That's when I, it's I, not entertaining. It, I would agree. Oh, God. I was going to say, ahead. it might be, um, that might be an artifact of the adaptation because it, it could very well be having never read the book that it's much more exciting to read about this kind of puzzle solving than it is to see it translated visually. There are some things mm-hmm. that just don't, that just don't work in a visual medium as well. Yeah. And, and or, this could very least, well be one of them. Or at least need more attention. Maybe not that they don't work, but just need attention. And I think that's as, as we go into our fixes here, you guys were sort of comparing it to like national treasure, Indiana Jones. And I'm like, I don't think it has to be. I kind of liked that. Like the action was much more quick and evasive, I guess. Like they never really fought back. It wasn't gunfights and action. It was just like run away, be safe. And I think how you compensate for the lack of national treasure style adventure action is to up the puzzle game. Uh, and they don't up the puzzle game. They don't show it. Well, they <laughs> no, don't. Not yeah. really. No, so. no. And the, yeah, even even when they do go find a secret tunnel, it's not like it's just like under a rug. Yeah, and that's <laughs> it. You know, it's like yeah, it, I I don't know. It like and it's not necessarily like not every. Not, it doesn't have to necessarily have the you know the kind of adventure tone that an Indiana Jones does. But I think um, it could have benefited from more levity. Um, you know, in in that kind of adventure style. <laughs> Just, just because it like it is kind of like a, a you know dark 
dark subject matter and like that, you know, some contrast in there would be really helpful. I think that's why when Ian McKellen shows up, the movie comes to life a little bit because he does provide a little bit of levity. But but until he does, which is like a whole hour, um, there's nothing <laughs> there. And like the 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 main characters are so um, boring uh and uninteresting that you're not getting enough from them and they're not i don't know i like i didn't really feel like there was much chemistry between them at all and and because and also because we don't spend any time learning about um sophie's past in any real way like we have no we have no markers for her personal history and what she's all about and the things that she's gone through in her life um outside of like a few short flashbacks yeah and like that's not enough to build the the character off of so so you couldn't like it's it's hard it's it would be difficult to even write those moments based on the way the script is laid out just because like there's no real relationship between those two characters other than the fact that they're being hunted down well it sounds like we've all uh got some maybe maybe more fixes for this than we might have thought going into it so uh let's go to the break and uh fix this film This episode of I Have Some Notes is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, your source for curiosity-driven coverage of our city cultivated by the community. Taproot publishes a weekly arts roundup, gathering up what's happening locally in theater, dance, the visual arts, the literary arts, and more. It's cultivated by Fonda Mithrush, a veteran of Edmonton's art scene and co-host of I Don't Get It, a fellow member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Subscribe to the Arts Roundup for free at taprootedmonton.ca. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. Let's crack this Da Vinci code. Greg Scott, what do you got for fixes? Uh, oh, be boy. A hard one. <laughs> I, I can start then. Because I, I, yeah. there was one that I, I sort of stumbled on in our conversation in the first half. Um, I think it is is a big tragedy that Sophie is not the main uh, code breaker. Um, and so I think it would... Obviously, it changes, you know, screw you, uh... uh um, I was about to say Ken Follett, but uh, screw you, Dan Brown. I don't care what you wrote in your book. Um, <laughs> you don't cut Robert Langdon. You make him a theology professor. Uh, make him much more like history and and um, uh, Christian knowledgeable, I guess. Right. And so let her be the code breaker. Yeah. So their you skills complement one another. You yeah. can still make him a religious symbologist. And actually, you saying that, uh, I think solves one of my problems with the movie and that the movie tips its hand about Sir Ian being the mysterious teacher too early. If you Mm -hmm. make Sophie the focal character and we're in her head, you can make Robert who's virtually unchanged, except now he's been moved to a secondary character a little more suspicious and like he can still turn out to be steadfast in the end. But then as she has Robert as the historian and Sir Ian as the, conspiracy nut bouncing off of each other when she's like added them both to her party there can be some question about one of these guys is clearly not on the up and up and one of them must be the secret bad guy and it it adds a little more tension because we don't know which one it is it's not so obvious so quickly that sir ian is the secret bad guy um because it could and, be and either it also one adds them. yeah the uh the, what i wanted to add to by by making her not the code or making her the code breaker and him and the historian the one code she fails to break, the one mystery that is like right in front of her face and can't solve it, he solves, which is that she's the last scion and that what's his name wasn't her real grandfather. So it's like she's breaking codes all the way up to that and then breaking codes, like solving puzzles all the way up to that. And that's the one that's like right in front of her face that she she can't see. And so I and yeah, make him a secondary character, make him the Watson to her homes. Uh, yeah, I, and I not think like that vice actually. Versa. That solves a lot of the issues in this movie, and it also repositions the only woman in the movie into the main character role in a movie where the villains are literally trying to enforce the patriarchy. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so it's, it's weird that it's, there a that lot it's of movies? requires dudes to oh. do it. Yeah. Sorry, are yeah, there a so lot of movies it's, where it's the MacGuffin w- has to find themselves? Like... Because no. what yeah. she's looking for, she is the thing she's looking for all along. I mean, uh, maybe Fifth Element, kind of. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I mean, I suppose that in that movie, she knows that she's the one the whole time. It's just Corbin Dallas doesn't. 
Yeah. That's uh, but that movie's perfect, and we need not. To, yeah, we need uh, not discuss, discuss it, it further. The, uh, <laughs> the I, uh, I I think that that one thing that that um, giving um, Sophie a lot more agency kind of helps solve is just uh, like you say, Scott, that you you get um, you 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 can play with um, Robert Langdon more and make him more suspicious, but it also gives you an opportunity to get her involved a lot more, a lot earlier. Like I would like it for her to be the one that kind of uh, comes to uh, interrogate and arrest him. I mean, like it, yeah, like it makes his name was because his name was implicated yeah. in the initial murder scene. Right. And like, and like it, you know, it can be, it can be, it can be her that is really gung ho that Robert Langdon's the, the murderer and then you kind of get that 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 flip when she starts to, you know, when he's when his knowledge starts to, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, reveal certain things to her. Then and then she be and then she becomes less sus- suspicious. She begins and to reveal to her. Go go ahead, Scott. Sorry, I was going to say the uh, the reveal to her also like it him helping her solve those first few initial mysteries uh, shows to her that there's something deeper at play and it would also make her by positioning her to be the the main cop in this it changes fash's position in the story into being that's what i was gonna like say. Yeah. yeah to being the cop who's uh the cop who's more uh focused on langdon when she starts to veer away from him and then he also starts to become more suspicious because of that so the movie doesn't tip its hand with fash necessarily so quickly you have yeah, you have more people in play with partners. mysterious yeah yeah and then you have more yeah. people in play uh who are suspicious in a conspiracy thriller where she doesn't know who she can trust and again that that builds up a bunch of secondary characters who could fit the role of the mystery villains uh, toward the end. And it's less clear who that's going to be. Yeah. I think like you could, it would also, um, you know, when you get to the introduction of Ian McKellen's character, like if she's still kind of wondering if she can trust Robert Langdon's character, it would give you maybe a bit of an opening to have, Ian McKellen endear her himself so much to her that he's the one that she really trusts. So then you get that counterpunch really, really hard when it turns out that he can't be trusted. Well, especially because he's, he's the Mulder to Langdon Scully, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, it would give that scene where they're arguing about like the truth of the history so much more weight if she was like truly like needs to believe one of them to believe one of them. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and if the two of them are sort of playing off of these two different uh these two different theories then you get then you get a whole lot of really good stuff going on in the same scene with like competing con- competing conspiracy theories and maybe and and competing trust levels and things like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea that like if if her and Fasher partners and they're both there to like suspect and arrest Langdon and then he somehow like convinces her that he can help her and she has to whisk him away the way she like throws the tracker in this movie. Like she still has to like save him from her bullheaded partner. And like now her bullheaded partner is like pissed at his, his partner, not to um, criminals. Yeah. I agree. And then, right and it slowly, <laughs> yeah. And it, and it slowly becomes clear that Fash maybe has an ulterior motive that he's maybe her partner, not by accident. Like you can still slowly reveal that he's part of the conspiracy, but it's less it's less heavy handed, and I, it okay, just it adds another cog to the to the who can she trust, and it it's another indication that the conspiracy is pointed at her before she realizes it, right? Yeah, maybe I'm confused. Then maybe we I, so we, I thought we ironed out all the wrinkles in the first half, but because like eventually Fash like tries like he he arrests Ian McKellen, like he arrests the right person. How was he involved in the conspiracy? Because uh, like, oh, he was working for the he's, bishop. At he's first. working. Yeah, he's working for um, what are they called? Uh, op- Opus Dei. Die. Opus Dei. Okay, yeah. then I I was less confused than I thought because the whole movie I'm like, oh yeah, this French police officer is working with the Opus Dei guys, and then about two thirds way through, I'm like, oh no, he just he just had a bad lead. He was just like he was on a he was chasing the wrong guy. He's a cop who's got the wrong man. He's not involved in this at all. 
And then, like, no, wait, yes, he is. Oh, wait, no, now he's now he's resting Ian McKay. I don't know. I don't know. So even <laughs> no, now, he, he, yeah, I feel bad he's for a true, John Reno in this movie. He's a true I believer. Feel like his character could have been a lot better handled. He's he's a true believer, but he's a true believer being manipulated by someone who who knows he can be manipulated. And yeah. by the time he realizes he's being manipulated, it it does break his faith. Like he's he's upset and he arrests the bad guys because he's not a bad guy. He was just being being used being manipulated by bad guys and i think that can still play here but i i like the idea of him having been maybe purposefully put in as her partner to keep an eye on her that he becomes suspect earlier on and and again because in a good conspiracy thriller we shouldn't know who to trust except our main character and in this movie there's number one we know to trust at least two people right off the jump and then number two uh, the movie quickly runs out of people to be suspicious of so that it's obvious who you need to be suspicious of. And yeah. by focusing everything back on her, you have more suspicious people in play and you can you can have the paranoia that a good conspiracy thriller has where she doesn't know who she can trust and we're not certain who she can trust and we can follow along until it becomes clear, like in the third And act. they're all oh, men seeking to upset the patriarchy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. Yeah, I think I think we've we've ironed this out quite a bit, actually. Also, make the puzzles I mean, I more so, interesting. Yeah, make the puzzles more interesting. <laughs> take out the anti-Semitism. I think. <laughs> I just like to like make Ian McKellen's character at the end, like maybe just a little bit more, make it, make his his position a bit more ambiguous about whether it's good or bad, like whether he yeah. was right or wrong. I, I mean, well, I think we're, that the movie... we're kind of in that territory, but I'd, I'd like it to be. I'd like it to be. I'd like Sophie to sort of. Um, confront like is, like assuming our changes to have like Robert sort of be on the more of the uh, Christianity is more legit side rather than uh, you know Ian McKellen's position like I, I'd like I'd like the 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 ending to see be more of a sort of like a confrontation between uh, Sophie and Robert Langdon about how he handled the whole situation and his relationship with Ian McKellen because like, I mean, cause it also because they know each other and they, and, and it, it's intimated that they were childhood friends and stuff like that too. Right. Um, so I don't know, maybe there's some stuff to play and play there as well that, that, uh, would make that whole relationship really come to a kind of like a, a maybe, a an uneasy conclusion that would make it fun. I don't know. That's that's yeah. just my thought on it. I just I, I like the uh, I I they it seems to me that the movie ends with like clearly the bad guy got arrested and that's a good thing. But I would rather I would rather that be more of like is it a good thing that he's gone? I'm not sure. Well, yeah, he's he... in the movie. He's very much presented as a zealot, just on the other side. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it would be it it would be interesting if there's some question about like is is the right thing to keep this conspiracy on the dl is the right thing to go public with it like what does the church do more good than bad like there's it it is interesting to to have yeah some of that some of that in the air yeah there's so many really big meaty questions about um you know religion to sort of um you can attack in this movie and i just like it feels a bit like the movie as written sort of takes a pass on it yeah It, it, it defends that status quo it assumes that like criticism be damned church status quo as it is is probably what we want to maintain yeah. and we well, get it, the beat cops of history to enforce it yeah the movie the movie is wishy-washy about its own central theme which is really and i suppose that's probably true of the book too yeah. um which is kind of weird in retrospect because it seems to take a very anti uh organized religion stance on the one hand but then at the end is like eh, but you know whatever <laughs> it's all or- it's already here and organized we're not gonna exactly topple it. yeah there's yeah. no there's no pro- proclamation that you know the the priors of Zion are gonna announce to the world who sophie is and i guess like they can't really because there's not really any evidence left for them to that be was able that to whole do it yeah yeah thing. so like yeah the, yeah so i don't know like it's um the movie wusses out at the end <laughs> yeah it just seems like it just takes a i don't know the easier way out I would have, I would have loved to have seen it. Just confront it head on. Just like, yeah, this is the world is never going to be the same after what they hear. I think that's, I think that's the more, that's the more courageous ending, personally. 
Well, we've uh, certainly had our comments, and so do our listeners. Thank you, everyone who contributed comments on our Facebook and our Twitter. We do appreciate your contributions. Let's get right into it. Tony from Flix X-Raid says, uh, I had somehow forgotten about the existence of this movie until I saw this tweet. Now it is seeping in like a repressed memory. Uh, as for what I would change is Tom Hanks, so as not to tarnish his name, putting a cage in it. Actually make it a ridic- make it ridiculous and so much better. I mean, you're um, kind of right on the right track of where we were thinking, too, or at least I was thinking. I, and I disagree. Uh, the movie, number one, the movie is not um, zany enough for Nick Cage. Uh, and I think zany is the right word here. Um, it's yeah. it's very grounded. As you pointed out, it takes itself way too seriously. And I don't think Nick Cage would have brought the right energy to this. And I have said before, this movie falls down without the, without the cast that it has. Tom Hanks works in this movie. He needs to be in this movie or this movie fails on face value. <laughs> v. Martin writes, and that's the name. That's, uh, that's, not, <laughs> no, that's not Liam saying V. Martin writes. So it's V. Martin writes, writes. <laughs> Unnecessarily long for a conclusion the audience made, like not even halfway into the movie. Uh, Scott, I think that was your, your yeah. take. Yeah, we like I figured out the plot twists before we got even halfway through, and then the movie just kept going after most of everything was revealed. And oh boy, uh, it is a very long movie to watch in one sitting, Liam. And I do not uh, encourage you to do it. I think you did it the right way by making it two episodes for yourself. <laughs> Nathan Martin says, I'm not sure if it missed the mark. It did get two sequels. Now the third one, I mean, eight years between part two and three says something. We've got Paul Bettany pre-vision as, al- as an albino self-flagellating priest. There are codes hidden and long strands to pull on like Hank's hair. <laughs> it's like Conspiracy, the movie, except they did it that with Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts, but they did it in 97. And doesn't Sophie turn out to be the last Zion or something? Not a great movie, but enjoyable. Where am I? Thanks, Nathan. That's a real... That's uh, much like uh, Da Vinci's Secret Codes. This is a lot to unpack there and decipher. <laughs> now, here's here's the real mystery. And this is something that's going to be puzzling our minds for a long time. Because I, I think there's a conspiracy afoot here. Nathan didn't once mention that the self-flagellating albino priest should have been played by The Rock. And... <laughs> That, to me, indicates that maybe there's a secret message being relayed here. Possibly a cry for help. <laughs> yeah, I don't think this is the real Nathan Martin. I think the, the pillory of the scions or whatever they're called have taken him away to hide him under the Louvre. <laughs> yeah, the Rock and Play Jesus, I don't know. Yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> Andrew Craig says they completely underrepresented the Merovingian connections to the British crown. Or, or something. The Merovingians were supposedly a French royal line, so... Yeah. I thought that was the guy from The Matrix. Oh, yes. The There's the a guy called the Merovingian. Merovingian. Yeah. yeah. And he's a reference to to this. Uh, Wait, is there Christian symbolism in The Matrix? No. <laughs> <laughs> I said that as a joke, but I, I guess there isn't. Oh, oh yeah. No, there, there totally is. I was oh, yeah. Sarcastic. Yeah, okay. Then you're... Then you, your re- your reaction made me doubt myself. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was, Come on. <laughs> I was I was being sarcastic. Uh. Ugh, I don't know what I believe in anymore. This movie's really gotten under my skin. Well, I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to belabor the point or, or or like point out to you like something that was definitely Christian symbolism in the Matrix because I knew you were making the joke and then and then you got confused. Yeah, and then yeah, just Scott confused me. <laughs> I'm like, wait, was I making a joke or am I any? Okay, no, I'm a comedy genius and, and Scott yeah. confused. That's cool. uh, <laughs> uh, neither of those things are true. Uh, Evan T. Adams says uh, a better version of National Treasure. Is it better? I've never seen National Treasure. I also have never I seen National Treasure. I don't think Treasure. they're a version of one another. <laughs> I think this is yeah, this is just Dis- D- National Treasure is just Disney's The Da Vinci Code. <laughs> From what I understand, it's certainly a more fun Da Vinci Code. Uh, following up on that comment, Harley Muncie says, worst National Treasure? I guess that <laughs> uh, depends on if you like to. Tom Hanks uh, better than Nick Cage, I guess. That's the, that's the big question there. Jeff Sampson now comments, 
Uh, I left you some notes in a book about Da Vinci at a museum somewhere in the world. You'll have to decode my tweets from March 2017 to June of 2018 for the location. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> okay, so Jeff hold on. tweets a lot, so yep. <laughs> that's going to be difficult. Uh, hold on. Hold on. Holding. Oh. It's under a big T. Uh, he uh, hit it at the Museo Nazionale della Science e della Tecnologia Leonardo da Vinci in Milan. Code crack. Yep. Nice try, Jeff Samsono. We're better than you. <laughs> we've, uh, well, I think, uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've cracked the code. Thank you again to everyone who commented. <laughs> and uh, this has been our uh, coverage of the Da Vinci Code. I'm looking forward to next episode for sure. Yeah, what are we doing next episode? We haven't got to space in a while, guys. Do we, do we want to go back to space? Yeah, let's do pitch black. Oh, we haven't done Vin Diesel in a while either. It's two great f- flavors that just flavor great together. I, uh, I commented when we were talking about this one. I, it's actually, we'll be recording that around my 34th birthday, and I'm pretty sure for like my 15th or 16th birthday, I went and saw that in theaters with a bunch of friends. Nice. Uh, nice. So it's uh, come, probably, come full circle. <laughs> probably the target age to see that movie, <laughs> as <Yeah>. I recall. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, well, and uh, until then, you can uh, follow us on social media uh, at I have some notes on Twitter. Look up uh, I have some notes on the, the old Zuckerberg machine there. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please comment, like, subscribe, uh, leave a review. It really does help us out as well. Uh, you can also help us out by supporting the Alberta Podcast Network, where you can check out such other great podcasts as Assumptions, which is uh, a religious themed podcast, thus uh appropriate for this episode and uh other great media related podcasts such as kyle and dave versus the machine you can check them out right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com as mentioned next uh two weeks from now we'll be doing uh some vin dieseling all over the place so uh, get your comments in for uh, pitch black now don't delay uh until then i'm your host liam kreswick i'm scott c bourgeois i'm greg beaver Wear a mask, wash your hands, Black Lives Matter, and keep watching the skies. For the stars she's buried under. <laughs> That's a good one.